I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. It's Climate Week in NYC, where the UN is hosting their 2019 Climate Action Summit. I know you've seen the youth climate strike, all kinds of things going on. And I'm in town getting great content for warming signs, but also to moderate a conversation with Chef Jose Andres, not only a celebrity chef, but founder of World Central Kitchen and Dr. Maria Nera from the World Health Organization. That conversation was on climate change and health at Mashable's Social Good Summit on Sunday. They were so passionate and moving. I had to share the conversation with you. So here it is. Please welcome to the stage Dr. Maria Nira and Jose Andreas in conversation with Kate Parker. I'm a meteorologist and I can barely catch my breath. Wildfires that no longer have a season, hurricanes that are topping the charts heat waves that are killing thousands. Mother Nature is on fire and giving us no breaks. We just had Hurricane Dorian. This massive storm made landfall in the Northwest Bahamas and then just stopped, stayed put for two days. It had the strongest winds, it tied for the top spot for strongest winds to ever make landfall in the Atlantic Basin. And then it didn't move. The hell that it created on those islands was witnessed firsthand by our chef here. You just got back. While you were in the Bahamas, you and I spoke while you were in Nassau. You rode out the storm there. You had some of the outer bands of Dorian. Can you tell us what it looks like on the ground there right now? Well, um, we moved in into Bahamas three days before Dorian came in. Um, we were in Nassau. Uh, the team of Wall Central Kitchen, some of you know, is the NGO I founded some years ago. We were following. <laughs> thank you, thank you, but no need. Um, we funded, um, um, we were following, we were in Puerto Rico, because we were waiting for uh, Dorian to hit Puerto Rico. Thanks God it didn't happen. The amazing thing is that we learned from Maria. We had an amazing team. Hundreds, if not thousands, of people ready to answer in case that happened again with food and water. So the teams moved to Florida, moved to Florida, and then we saw what's coming to Bahamas. We moved into Bahamas, and all the plans we did went underwater. We had a perfect plan. We had the kitchens, the hotels we were going to be cooking from. Well, that, those hotels disappeared. So we had to do plan B and plan C. So long story short, um, since the day we arrived, probably we landed there at the same time, the U.S. Coast Guard, we began doing what we do best, adapting. And for a small NGO, I was so happy how, how the team created the perfect situation. Uh, at the end, we needed uh, helicopters. We got six helicopters. We needed uh, a heliport. We got a heliport. We needed a boat with a helipad, because it was the only way to be bringing food from Fort Lauderdale to Freeport. Uh, um, we did that. We needed an amphibious vehicle because we've been going through a lot of water situations in North Carolina, Florida, we got it. At the end of the day, I think today, 
an amazing team. Uh, we got more than 4,000 people in Bahamas that they put their names to be volunteers. Every day we had hundreds of volunteers. At the end, I think we had, um, we did uh, uh, today, over 400,000 meals, uh, more than 30,000 meals a day, delivered in more than nine islands, not only the two big ones, but the tiny ones. And at the end, quite frankly, uh, the, the impossible we showed that was possible. We are a small NGO, but we think big. And sometimes our mission is simple. When people are hungry, we want to feed them. So we make only the right decisions to make sure that everybody is fed, not a week from now, not a month from now, but right now. The urgency of now is now. Dr. Nara, immediately after a disaster, your experience with the World Health Organization, you know well that there are a number of health issues that arise. Not only are people hungry, but they also have uh, prevalence of mosquito-borne illnesses. Our sewage systems may overflow in flooding. We may have uh, poor air quality following a disaster. What are the immediate needs that we see after these climate-fueled disasters? Yeah, actually one of the, the, the most, I mean, the ones that will give you the temperature of the situation is the healthcare facilities. You know, everywhere in the world you have healthcare facilities. In some places there is just a small place where the patient will go and you have the minimum to take care of. But when there is a disaster, those minimal and basic uh, healthcare facilities can even disappear. And the health workforce that you have they are affected as well by the, the, the emergency and the, the situation. So we need to recreate immediately a kind of network of minimum of facilities where people can come to get some assistance because the diseases will not be stopped. After a natural disaster, obviously one of the most immediate problems will be access to safe food and safe water. Okay. And uh, the scarcity of water will determine enormously the fact that you will have an increase on diarrheal diseases sometimes even on epidemic diarrheal diseases like cholera and others. That's why we spend so much on, on preparing those healthcare facilities, making it a little bit more resilient, more prepared for, for this uh, climate crisis that uh, today we are suffering more and more every day. Plus, it depends on the type of disaster, but then you have a problem as well with the quality of the air that you are breathing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the, the agricultural production that people have been concentrating in for one year then suddenly disappear. So it's the lack of access to curative services, safe water, sanitation, food, and then being able as well to be protected from the epidemic, diarrheal diseases, or vector-borne diseases like dengue or malaria that might be increasing as well. And I know, Chef, that World Central Kitchen, you guys also feed first responders and those medical personnel that are coming in. So you have to feed people in order to get them well again. It seems like a natural connection for chefs. Where did you first see this need and decide, hey, this is a direction and an opportunity for chefs to really lead the way? Uh, well, for us, uh, you know, cooks, we love to feed people. And, and we feed the few, but in this situation, we have to feed the many. So producing quantities of food is not really so difficult. If you get the right cooks, the right places, if we don't have a kitchen, we make a field kitchen. We create a field kitchen. Because we don't like to wait for the perfect kitchen to fly from a faraway place. When we wait, 
people go hungry. So we are people that we use more software than we use hardware. So obviously, for example, in Beira, and, and, and you are an expert in Mozambique, and, and you know Beira well, we went there after the cyclone. I was able to spend myself there 10, 12 days. Uh, actually, World Food Program, I saw firsthand they did, I believe, a very, very good job. I went with them in a couple of, 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 of helicopter rides, and I was able to be working with them, um, watching how they work in action. But the role of World Central Kitchen there was to take care of some of the uh, refugee camps that were around Beira. And obviously, that's our first mission. But then you realize that, yes, you have police mm -hmm. uh, in Florida. Uh, let's say, let's go North Carolina, Wilmington. Wilmington was surrounded by water. And during three, four days, it was a lot of difficulty uh, bringing anything in. We were there with three big refrigerator containers with enough food for 10, 15,000 people a day for over two weeks. Mm. So, so that's, but, but that's only the planning. That's what we do. We plan. We plan to make sure nobody's hungry. So in the process, we were able to be feeding our great men and women that National Guards, obviously. Police, obviously. So we learn that sometimes it's not a plan to feed those men and women. Mm. And sometimes it's not even enough MREs to feed everybody. So we are there with fresh food, with fresh fruit, um, and that's what we do. We try to think what's the worst nightmare, and we try to answer to it. And for a chef, the worst nightmare is running out of food. <laughs> that's a matter if you're feeding somebody at home or you're feeding somebody in emergency. We are not any more chefs that we have a good heart. We are a group of individuals that they are, we are becoming very professional in how to bring food relief to anybody that needs a plate of hot food. That's what we do. Now, Dr. Nera, this is a immediate disaster when we're talking about either an earthquake, a tsunami, a hurricane. But whenever we're talking about heat waves, when we're talking about temperatures that are rising across the world, we see air quality go down. I've had conversations with pediatricians in Houston, Texas, who have patients who can't go outside certain days, who have to pay attention to the temperature because it affects the air quality. What are we seeing globally, health-wise, as far as air quality goes? For people who have healthy lungs, you may not think about it every day. Yeah, let me, first of all, don't you feel hungry after talking <laughs> yeah. about food? And when are you feeding us? I'm starting <laughs> to feel really, wow. She's and from Spain, she's <laughs> from the same region I was born. <laughs> yeah. We are always hungry. <laughs> <laughs> That's not from the front north of Spain, but anyway, we'll be so much welcome. Anyway, let me give you a terrible figure, and I'm sorry to be so uh, pessimistic here and give this terrible figure, but probably you don't know. Seven million premature deaths every year caused by exposure to air pollution. Let me repeat it again, because I, I, I'm not sure you, you, you probably heard it before. Seven million premature deaths occurring every year before, because of exposure to air pollution. This is absolutely unacceptable, and you will expect that if you announce a figure like that, people will start to move and react and panic and do something about, is this the case? No. Why? Uh, because it's so much related to uh, an invisible killer. I mean, the, the, the air pollution is something that you don't touch, you don't see it. It's not a bacteria, it's not a virus that you don't see it either, but you feel it, you feel sick immediately. 
With air pollution, we are now confronted to probably one of the biggest public health issues ever, and it's coming from the way we cook, because half of the world population, you know, three billion people is now cooking like in the Stone Age. They do an open fire, they put inside whatever they have, charcoal, wood, whatever, and they cook. And then who is inhaling that? The moms and the girls and the babies that are in the bag. What do we know about air pollution that is responsible for, of course, respiratory diseases? Everybody will immediately understand that those particulate matter will go into your lungs. But the thing is that they don't stay there. They go, they cross the, the, the bloodstream, and they reach every organ in your body. And now it's even reaching our brain. And careful with that, because we have evidence now that those pollutants, through altering our immune system and causing inflammation or whatever, our cognitive development our cognitive capacity, our intelligence is going down. So we need to make sure that climate change, the causes of climate change, which is the burning of fossil fuels, the causes of air pollution overlap and therefore having a horrible impact in our health. So I'm very much concerned about this acute situation, but we need as well to look at the causes of those acute situations and start to put a lot of very strong political action and action everywhere to, to tackle those causes of the big things that are happening. This idea of, well, first of all, <laughs> but this idea of uh, this cooking in kitchens and clean cooking is why, not just that you guys are from the same region of Spain, but why it's a natural fit for you to be here, Chef, because you guys actually have initiatives yeah that work toward yeah. solving that issue? Well, I'm not only a cook, but, but Secretary Clinton officially named me ambassador of the Alliance of Clean Cookstoves. Yep. Um, and, and I took that role to heart, even I was uh, kind of involved before. I, I was very aware of the issue. And for me to think like the same thing that makes my profession possible. The same kitchen that allows me to feed my children, my three beautiful daughters. That same kitchen that feeds the rich part of humanity. That we don't have to worry about where our energy to cook our energy to feed ourselves is coming from. That we have almost over three billion people on planet Earth, as she said, that they still cook like hundreds of thousands of years ago. This breaks my heart. Because if today we have hunger and poverty, I will put my hand on the fire that the main reason is the way we are feeding ourselves. Families in Haiti sometimes spend between five and over 20% on the charcoal to feed themselves. Imagine if you had to spend 20% of your salary to feed your family. You will be Poor. Poverty is an equation. Energy you put out versus energy you put in. When you put more out than what you bring in, you are poor. We need to provide the poor of the world the opportunity to be poor no more. And this will be when finally, once and for all, we come up with a real plan to bring the same kitchens and the same energy that you 
and I enjoy at home. Energy should be a right for every human being on planet Earth. And right now we have three billion people that don't have the same right as you and I. We need to provide them with that. And then we have a true world with no poverty and with no hunger. And all it starts with a humble cook stove. I think we can do it. But we need to stop talking. We need to stop clapping. We need sometimes to stop meeting. And we need to stop going to with boots on the ground to the front lines. The war just will start in places like United Nations and convincing our leaders what they have to do. But the real war, my people, to make the better world we want has to be in the front lines. And that is where the poor people of the world are. This conference next time should be happening in Beira or in Venezuela or in, or in Cucuta or anywhere in Africa and Latin America. This conference should be in the places that poverty is the issue that we are trying to solve. Not here in New York, but right there, with boots on the ground, in the front lines. When we talk about climate change and health, it's a very heavy topic. There are a lot of consequences. I have a podcast that's called Warming Signs. Y'all are free to subscribe to it if you so choose. But I bring it up because I always end every episode with hope. Because I think it's important. We need a way to take action and we need to have hope that we can. What gives you hope? Oh, I'm a pathologically optimistic person. You know, as a public health officer, as a medical doctor, if you are not optimistic, you are done. Because uh, the type of things I see every day, I will, be, I will wake up and then go back to uh, bed again, but, but I can't. For me, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is to, I do click, you know, I go to the kitchen, I do click. And then I have already hot water and I can have my coffee and, uh, you know, enjoy my life. For an, another type of woman in another part of the world, this thing that for me takes uh, 30, not even one second, for them it will take between three and four hours because they need to collect water, they need to collect uh, something to, to cook, and that will take between three and four hours. And therefore the girls that is collecting is not going to school, so it's a question of education. To me. For a public health officer, we need to make sure that people will have access to the basic uh, rights, I mean clean air, Breathing clean air, is that something revolutionary? Telling people that uh, we want to breathe air that is not killing us. I mean, is this something crazy or, or is it a basic thing? We want as well to have access to food and we could feed the, the, the whole uh, humanity if we don't produce the, the, the amount of the tons of waste, the food waste that, that we are producing every day. And, uh, and again, if we do not destroy, destroy our environment, so clean water, sanitation, food, taking some measures that uh, we are putting subsidies now and, and fossil fuels, with those subsidies we could change dramatically. Uh, we could pay subsidies to renewables, for instance. We could use the taxes in a completely different way. So we need to go to the front line, as you rightly say, to resolve the problems. But we need that way to put against the wall <laughs> our politicians that saying, change your, your taxation policies, change the subsidies, 
make sure that you select the right source of energy because that will condition enormously the health of the people. The source of energy, the way we commute in our cities, the, the transport, the public transport system we use instead of uh, polluting cars, the moment we, we use energy on a very efficient way, that will change dramatically. Even the food we consume, again, we, you as a chef, make sure as well about the calories we cook. are consuming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that is, is, is my dream as a public health officer. It can be done. I don't see why not. It can be done. What uh, gives you hope? What are you saying? Well, give me hope that I can be next to a meteorologist <laughs> and nothing is happening. Because if you're here, it means nothing is happening. Slow for now. Every time I'm next yeah. to people like her, I am in the middle of a hurricane. We still have October. But you know what gives me hope? Uh, because time is up. <laughs> give me hope is seeing somebody like I didn't met, and I hope one day will, like Greta, that is a 16-year-old that is bringing in all of us the dream that together we can make real change happen. That's what gives me hope. You know what? And we should be giving a big round of applause to Greta and people like Greta that they are. You know what gives me hope? That these people like you coming to listen to people like us. But will give me even better hope to know that every one of you, after you stop clapping, you're leaving this room and you're asking yourself, and what I'm going to keep doing myself and convincing others to do, to make sure that we are all together in this war to improve the world we live in. You know what gives me hope? That every time I go to places like Mozambique or Indonesia or Guatemala or Venezuela, that the people that are voiceless, that the people that have nothing, that the people that lost everything, they welcome you with a smile. They are there next to each other, helping each other, sharing the things they don't even have. And with whatever they own, they share it with people they don't even know. That's why I'm here, to make sure that we give the support to the voiceless of the world, to the poor of the world, the support they need, because we are here for them. And that's why we need to start making sure that we hold accountable every promise by every single leader. We need to stop a clapping to our leaders when they promise false promises of hope. We need to start making sure that they deliver on their promises. Not tomorrow, not a week from today, but today. That's the world we want to live in. And to end, probably I copy this from John Stenbeck. No, I copy this from John Stenbeck. But the World Central Kitchen, we say, whatever there is a fight so hungry people will eat, we will be there. We need all of you there to make sure that hunger, no more, physical and metaphorical, we need to feed hope into the world. And we need everybody to be people of action. Thank you very much. I don't think we could end on a better note. So hopeful action, you have it. And I guess we can go out and do it now. That's the word. <laughs> if you're new to our Warming Signs family, welcome. We have a variety of past episodes for you to check out, but if you're not, thanks for sticking around. Please talk to me on social media. I'm bored out there. I've got all kinds of meanies in my mentions. So if you could tweet at me, at WeatherKate, that's at Weather, K-A-I-T. I would love to have a conversation about this episode or others, or just what's going on at Climate Week. 
From my brain to yours, until next time, thank you.